it's frequently been discussed how we keep data that we get from people on the internet to be accurate. Are they getting paid properly? Is the sample representative? Are they actually filling out the questions properly? The answer to this and many more questions is, well, they are if they're from prolific.co. Go to prolific.co slash everything hurts and get $50 worth of free credit to recruit participants online to answer questions for you so you can do science. That's one of my goals is to make people feel like they can do statistics. And so uh, in a small way to see me mess up and have to debug my code, it makes them feel like, oh, this is a person who is qualified enough to teach me this subject and she's making typos. She's misremembering arguments. Welcome to Everything Hurts. <laughs> My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo. I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University and a very special guest, Chelsea Parlett Pelleridi, who is a graduate student in statistics at Chapman University in Southern California. Chelsea, thank you for joining us on the show. Of course. I'm so glad I bullied James into it. <laughs> oh, it wasn't much of a bullying. You went, you should have me on to, to, to look young and talk about young person things. And I thought, you know what, that's actually a pretty fucking solid idea. Um, the, one of the problems that we have is that we are rapidly aging and all this, these, these things happen around us. Um, Dan's going to have his 97th kid and I've <laughs> determined that I'm turning 50 and, and it, it's, we, we, we're not, we're not hip anymore. No. We're more, we're more hip replacement than hip. <laughs> and 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 things uh, things just sort of fly by us um, while we're, we're gradually aging into a, an, an early grave, marinated in coffee and deadlines. So let's talk about some young person shit, shall we? Go on, Dan. Go on. <laughs> Well, um, you, you're actually our, our second uh, statistician to come on the show, Chelsea, which uh-huh. is uh, which is which is pretty good considering that we talk a lot about stats. It's good to get some actual es- experts on the show, and um, I, I find that um, on Twitter, I think everyone finds on Twitter that there's a lot of statisticians kind of sit in their chairs and take pot shots at applied fields. But you're actually out there trying to encourage people about their statistical abilities. So I was wondering what got you interested in these more applied aspects of uh, statistics within psychology? Yeah, I mean, I started out in the field of psychology. My undergraduate degree is in psychology. So I, you know, these are my people. And I noticed that everyone hated statistics and I hated statistics for a really long time in undergraduate, finally took an amazing class my senior year, decided I loved it, took a couple years to work in research, figure out if I wanted to do it. And through that process, I discovered that a lot of my friends were interested, but did not know what they were doing statistically. And so I think being in that culture, one was really um, humbling because I was just learning and I didn't know anything. Uh, And I was taking math classes left and right. And I realized that a lot of people were making me feel bad (laughs) about my lack of training. Um, At first, obviously, now people take me a little more seriously, but it 
really made me feel like I want to be the person who is helping other people not feel this way. And I think that's just carried throughout my career, even as I get a lot better at statistics, I still feel that empathy and that connection with people who don't get it and maybe feel stupid because they don't get it. Uh, well, we're, we're all about empathy. I, I generally display a lot of recorded empathy, so you're definitely in the right place. That's um, most, most people don't have that response. I think most people start in that same kind of trajectory and then carry on being sort of terrified and annoyed forever. And you said the the, the turning point was a, a graduate. Who, who's teaching this magic graduate course? Oh, well, they're wonderful. This was uh, an honors clinical psychology statistics course. It was a year-long course at UCSD where I did my undergrad. And Dr. Julian Paris, who has a Twitter account but never uses it, um, was teaching there. And I begged him to let me in the class because I wasn't actually in the honors program. <laughs> and he allowed me to. And I think he was such a great teacher. He really explained things in a way that got me excited about statistics. And he gave us this little tidbit that he said, if you pass my class, you'll know more than most graduate students do about statistics. And that kind of got me really excited because it felt good. I was like, oh, well, I know so much. <laughs> Obviously, now I look back and I knew nothing, but it made me feel really good and you know, kind of magical that statistics could do all of this really cool stuff. Well, it's speaking out of both sides of his mouth there, but I have a piece of flounder in the freezer, I think, knows more statistics than um, some graduate students I'll come across, which is not really a criticism as much as you, you have a double-edged problem when you have something that is intrinsically difficult. And it is. Don't don't at me. I'm going to use the the argot of people who are 20 years younger than me for this entire show to show that I am, in fact, not prematurely middle aged. Um, the, there's a combination of it being conceptually difficult in and of itself, and then you're trying to teach it to social scientists. And the trope in Australia is that. When you do a social science degree or you have a mandatory science major, a lot of people end up in social scientific subjects because they're, they're scared shitless of taking biology or physics or inorganic chemistry or something like that. So it's the flight. It's the refuge of the people who didn't want to do a quantitative subject in the first place. And those are the people who end up going into the graduate statistics class. Pain, man. Yeah, I mean, you get it. I, I find it funny that I teach now, obviously, at the undergraduate level, and I teach classes where people who are trying to avoid statistics take this class. It's like an introduction to programming class. And so I just think it's incredibly ironic that me, the person who loves statistics more than anything else in the world, is teaching all these students who said, mm, would rather not take that. <laughs> but yeah, I see your I see your point. Who says I love statistics more than anywhere else in the world? See this is what this is why you're here. I mean that's that is I mean even by the standards of this podcast, that is a phenomenally dorky statement. But you're entirely sincere. Entirely. I mean, look, 
you've seen my Twitter, you've seen me tweet all hours of the day really bad statistics jokes, and it's because I'm thinking of these statistics jokes and I'm thinking about statistics the entire day. <laughs> no, which is, 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 is making you honestly hugely employable. Um, and <laughs> it's probably, we, we're both experiencing a certain degree of career regret that, um, uh, that we didn't figure out ways to make ourselves uh, sufficiently valuable a long time ago. Well, maybe that's maybe that's just Dan. <laughs> yeah, probably. Now, speaking about the way that you actually communicate statistics, one thing you've been doing recently is using TikTok. Oh, almost almost daily TikTok videos, some incredible stuff. And this is a platform which not many academics are using. When I talk to academics and talk about the potential of TikTok, they gave me the same sort of look that James gave me about 10 years ago when I told him, mate, you should be on Twitter. Yeah, it's because I don't like talking to people, Dan. I don't have any <laughs> problem with the inherent exchange of information. It's just that conversations, especially 10 years ago, had a tendency to go badly for obvious reasons. Well, on Twitter, you talk at people, so perhaps it was less of a problem. That's... That's not very nice. <laughs> it's a conversation. It's, yeah. Yeah. Start a conversation. It's just, you know, some of them start with screaming. That seems reasonable. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to I didn't want to derail that, Dan. You were going to do something interesting. Do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Back to TikTok. So you've been using TikTok as a way to communicate statistics. How's that been going for you? <laughs> You're having a lot of fun by the looks of it. Yeah, uh, great question. <clears throat> it has been going swimmingly. I don't take it as seriously. I think that sometimes I can take myself a little more seriously on Twitter and try and put out things that are rigorous and like very correct. Uh, and TikTok has been more about bringing people into the fun that I have with statistics. And my husband is really into video production. So some of the TikToks you've seen uh, they're, are- They're very technical. Yeah. Did you see the Star Wars one? That was all his idea. He that set was, up the uh, shot. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, but I kind of see it as a way of putting out like the things I'm thinking about and working on. So I've been doing a lot of Bayesian statistics lately, which is probably why a lot of my TikToks have been about Bayesian concepts. <clears throat> and so it's a way for me to, one, make the people who, like me, are thinking about these things daily, I want to make them laugh. But I also really love uh, – I saw one of my first TikToks. Someone commented it was about linear regression assumptions and someone commented and said, my wife saw this and she Googled what are the assumptions of linear regression because she didn't fully understand the joke that I was making. And that made me so happy because I really just want people to find something like my TikToks engaging and have that encourage them to dig a little deeper. So on the Hamiltonian Monte Carlo, maybe someone would go, oh, I don't know what that is. Maybe I should read about it. And that's really my goal, even if, you know, my stated goal is just to make shitty TikToks. <laughs> so this is like, I, I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at it now. And you're in the same clothes that you're wearing at present. So you've obviously just done this. And the caption is me hyping up my stochastic gradient descent algorithm. How many people are doing this? Is this is, I mean, new frontiers for community and you are dancing very badly, even I by know. the standards. I can't of, dance yeah. the other way. 
that's not that's per- perfect, perfectly okay. Um, how many people? How big is the TikTok statistics community? Because that really that's not so much chalk and cheese as sort of orange juice and napalm. That's a really odd combo. Are you literally the first person who's thought to do this? No. Um. Well, maybe me and Dimitri at PH Dimitri on Twitter uh, have been making them for probably about the same amount of time. Um, and I, my TikToks don't get a lot of views. They only get a couple hundred views on TikTok. Cool. cool. They get thousands of views. <laughs> well, on Twitter. on Twitter. Yeah. Not on TikTok. So it's not like people are on TikTok and searching, oh, I really want to, you know, watch a TikTok about stochastic gradient descent. It's more of a platform to create a certain type of content that uh, provides a framework that even when I'm posting them on Twitter, people see the TikTok logo, they see the traditional TikTok effects, and it kind of puts them in a certain framework or there may be memes that are like particular to TikTok uh, that provide some sort of scaffolding for which I want them to like interpret the, the joke that I'm making. Um, so yeah, I don't really see much TikTok success, but when I post them on Twitter, people sometimes like them. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the reasons sometimes that I really like, like them. This was sorry, this one from uh, like very late last week. It is th- obviously like academic bitching and moaning is a huge component of academic intercommunication, and um. In general, I'm in favor of it because, I mean, it's it's an alternative to going completely postal and uh, running off to become a scuba diving instructor in the Maldives. And, you know, science still needs to get done. Um, this is it's just this is a, a 12 second video. It has 15,000 views. Um, many of them will me just uh, playing it over and over again because it's actually quite funny. Um, it seems like you, you branch out into broader academic material as well because reviewer two is appearing like the guy from scream <laughs> yeah, that what, was- what are what are some of the tropes here in that I mean, specific what, what, one no no just just in general we don't know what these jokes are most people who have like even other people who are graduate students like do not have a frame of reference for some of this this is why it's so interesting i mean it's yeah, I mean, you-, you what, are, what are the tropes? What are you ripping off? Yeah, everything. I mean, I think that's the point of TikTok is you reuse the same sounds and do the same jokes over and over in different contexts. Um, and you know what I've noticed is the, the ones that are more universally understandable <clears throat> tend to do better. Um, I made one that no one liked <laughs> about- um, there's this meme on Twitter where you misinterpret the title of a book. So not to get too inappropriate here, but one of the famous ones is uh, when Moby finally gets some dick, IDK, I never read the book. Uh, and it's just this meme of like, you're misinterpreting the title. And then you're saying like, I never read the book. And it's a very TikTok joke. And I made okay, one and, for the elements and, of hang statistical on, pause. learning. Old, old, old people pause. That's supposed to be Herman Melville. <laughs> yes. Right. Just, Making sure. Sorry. You oh, did you think there was another one that came out in the in the internet? I don't know. Moby Moby Dick <laughs> Two: Return of the Angry Fish. I, I haven't read the whole series. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I made one about the elements of statistical learning, 
And I said something like, when the elements finally start learning statistics, IDK never read the book. And no one liked it. <laughs> it was definitely too much of a, a TikTok specific joke. So, you know, I, I don't always make these for people to like them. I sometimes just make them because I, I find them hilarious. Um, but I have noticed that people tend to connect more with more general jokes, which is maybe kind of on the edge of what TikTok really is. Um, for most people on TikTok, maybe not for academic TikTok. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tropes. I think using sounds, bad lip syncing are some general ones that everyone gets. But when you scroll through your timeline on TikTok, <laughs> there's some very, very specific jokes that if you weren't on TikTok, you probably wouldn't understand. Well, there was a TikTok I made yesterday. Usually I cross-post Twitter, but this one was a very specific TikTok one. I didn't even bother doing it because I don't think anyone would understand it. Um, so there are some memes that are extremely, extremely uh, specific. And the, the amazing thing is, is it's incredibly addictive when you actually scroll through the timeline. Um, it just works. And I, I, can't, put, I can't put my finger on why. And I think you, you stuck on, stuck on something before in that it gives you permission to be goofy. You can make, if you made these exact same videos, on Twitter, you might get some polite applause. Ha, huh, that was funny. But the fact that you're doing this within the context, you have a little TikTok thing, people are like, ah, it's a TikTok video. You can be a bit stupid. And that's what I love about it. It, it takes away that seriousness of, this is Twitter. I'm going to say a serious thing. I always come back to that. Uh, I think we mentioned an episode two ago of that person that's like, you know, you have to be super careful what you're posting on Twitter. Your future employer is going to see it. How boring is that? But the fact that you can actually have a bit of fun on TikTok within that sort of safety of this is a TikTok video, I think is a fantastic way of actually opening things up. Um, I mean, there was, there was that example of that uh, oxytocin TikTok I did um, <laughs> ages ago. And uh, this, this, was, this was a preprint, um, you know, 400, 500 reads, that's all right. The actual TikTok thing, um, you know, 20,000, 30,000 views. And like you said, you, you can't get much nuance and people were kind of like, well, you didn't consider this one little, little caveat. Um, but of course, you can actually draw people. I attach the actual paper to the video and people can sort of see, see a, a, bit, a bit more there. So it's a really, it's a really interesting medium, I think. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's why, like, I would never post these videos without that little, like, TikTok logo and TikTok effects because you're right. I don't think people would respond to it in the same way because Twitter tends to be a little more serious. <laughs> Even though, you know, my whole Twitter brand is, like, bad stats jokes, it's still, like, slightly different. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a whole new way of of, of communicating. And when it comes to communication, I, th I think there's there's two important things to think about. There's communication between other scientists and communication to the public. There's a few people who are using TikTok as a great way of communicating to the public. Uh, Epi Ellie comes to mind. Um, she's an epidemiologist doing some doing some great work and using TikTok to actually uh, teach people some some facts about what's happening with with coronavirus. But then there's a lot of people who are actually doing science communication in order to speak to other scientists. But in terms of your science communication work, how do you go about actually um, dividing your time? Do you have mentors or bosses or people going, Chelsea, are you making another TikTok again? Um, <laughs> should, 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 shouldn't, you be, shouldn't you be teaching statistics the old boring way? How do you sort of – is that something that, that you've come up against, both formally or informally? Um, <clears throat> not really. My advisor is uh, incredible, Eric Lindstedt. He 
kind of lets me do whatever I want uh, in this kind of science communication area. And he he shared my first TikTok in our lab Slack and embarrassed (sighs) the heck out of me because, you know, (laughs) I consider Twitter to like not many of my real like life friends follow me on Twitter. So I kind of consider it like I know these people, but they're sort of strangers. And I didn't want like the people in my real life to know I make these really bad (laughs) jokes. But he sent it to all my real life friends. Um, And so he really likes it. And he even sent me, uh, he recently had a paper out on uh, weight sharing in convolutional neural networks. And he sent it to me and I I memed it for him. (laughs) Um, I made a meme, like, you know, that meme with the two arms uh-huh. And they like agree on something. To arm, so to I, arm meme, love it. Yeah, and so I made like one arm is like uh, gym bros, and the other one is uh, this paper, and both of them talk about sharing weights because like gym. Yeah, so like he's he's supportive. Um, I think if I were I think if I weren't getting my work done, he would feel very differently. <laughs> but I try and spend my free time, and I like I said, I'm making memes about things that I'm working on. So I'm not spending a ton of time researching statistics or something to make this <laughs> meme. It sort of flows naturally out of like, well, I just spent seven hours running a Bayesian hierarchical model. I'm going to make a meme about it. <laughs> yeah, it makes total sense. And that, that that's basically my response when people go, oh, how do you find the time to do this? Is if I'm kind of sitting there going, what am I going to tweet now? What video am I going to make now? It's just an outflow of what you're already doing and it becomes really easy. Um, and, and with TikTok, you see a meme and you're like, oh, man, that, that's so easy to apply to research or that's so easy to apply to stats. It, they, these things write themselves. Yeah, I have a list of TikToks to make. And so whenever oh. I have a down moment, uh, I'll just go through that list and make and, a new one. And you got Hubby there to help you as well. Yeah, he's very – I'm really excited because he and I do not share this love of statistics. It is very much just me that loves it so much. What you you did you did a TikTok specifically about that and his poor confused mm-hmm. face as you explained statistics to him, looking all earnest. Yeah, as a side <laughs> note, it is really helpful to have a non-statistician partner because whenever I'm writing introduction materials, I'll read it to him and see if he can get the gist of what I'm saying. Uh, and that's incredibly invaluable. As I get more and more of an expert, it's harder for me to remember the things that threw me off when I started. So making my husband sit through that, which is what I, I actually had him read something I wrote on Markov Chain Monte Carlo, and he had almost that exact reaction. And I said, we need to make a TikTok about this. And he was a good sport and did it. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, he and I don't share this love of statistics, but this is a way for us uh, to bring together our loves of me statistics and him video production. And it's been so fun and i love it because he won't usually listen to me talk about statistics but if we're making a tiktok he will <laughs> oh match, you said, match you said his heaven. job or his hobby video production um it is right now a hobby but is maybe a job when the economy gets better oh uh, right i see okay do you have um i'm gonna run down the, the the list of modern things i've heard of here do you have an instagram yeah, I have an Instagram. It's mostly just to post my TikToks and then the drawings that I do for illustrations. Um, I think I'm- I like your drawings. You haven't done one in a while. I, I haven't like done one in- I know. TikTok kind of replaced that. Um, that, to be honest, I don't even think I know my handle. It's probably at Chelsea Parlette on Instagram. Because mm. you definitely have a Discord. 
I do. Did you join it? A Twitch? No, I don't know how that works. Um, <laughs> Didn't I send you a link? You just click it. Oh, right. Okay. Well, it it's, it scared me when I, I, I knew it was something I was unfamiliar with. And as and look, anything invented um, in the, the last 10 years, obviously, is, is dreadful. Um, no, I got di- I got distracted. I know I know what it is. Twitch. Talk um, about Twitch. Yeah, this is like the, the the whole full court press spectrum thing on platforms here. Look, you've got to understand people who are listening to this might not have heard of some of these. Of Twitch, okay? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah totally. Oh, yes. absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, Twitch. I think it's really ironic because I gave up social media my senior year of college, which, to be fair, was a while ago now. But I think it's really funny that now I'm on all these platforms and it's you know it's not it's not me like i don't do a ton of social media it's mostly twitter but twitch is a streaming platform that mostly people use or associate with gamers uh streaming games that they're playing and i started using it because um even before all of this coronavirus shut down i wanted to lower the threshold for participation for my students and so I decided to do streams for them to <clears throat> show them like live coding because they always see me writing pre-prepared code that I've written a million times before. And so I made this that we would work through some problems where I would live code them and they would get to see what does a real data scientist do when they're mm-hmm. coding. And so I started it with that uh, and I do those regularly for them. But I recently uh, made one to play stats-themed games (laughs) on Jackbox, which is a a platform where you can remotely play games with people. Uh, So I made some stats-themed trivia, and we had a stats game night, and it was super fun. James didn't come, even though I specifically invited him. Uh, I told you. I've got a phone call. Yeah, yeah. Next time. I'll put a prompt in that's specifically for okay. you. I promise next time you are playing <laughs> statistics-themed Twitch games to participate. Sounds and beautiful. And not complain. Whoa. That is a high bar. I appreciate it. No, that's perfectly all right. Look, don't be thinking I know what a Hamiltonian Monte Carlo is. I might actually learn something. <laughs> now, Dan has it. A- Michael Badencourt played with us last time, and he's the one who's coded a lot of this up for Stan, one of the really popular Bayesian mm. packages, yep. so he could teach you. You know, we have a lot of experts playing these games. Uh, you can see, Dan has a Twitch. Dan has played around with this in his his effort to a bit yes and I, I i even i even looked at it once and it was um i think this was more uh by circumstance than by design what he was doing was horribly boring but you're absolutely right about the context of what does a data scientist do this is me googling the thing i've just yeah. failed to understand i have forgotten how to terminate that particular line with whatever i'm typing that doesn't work what have i actually done there's a huge disconnect between dicking around with whatever you're trying to code or however you're trying to debug some shit that someone else wrote from python 2 or whatever and the examples that you're getting class or any other form of didactic education where you go push the button now look at that yours will be just like that damn that's setting people up to 
either fail or get horribly confused when it doesn't shake out the right way. Yeah, it's all ticking around. Like that, that's literally all we do. And for that example, uh, what I was streaming was I was cre- streaming the creation of a paper, um, not only the coding, but also the writing. This was something that I could do because this was a sole author paper. So I'm, I thought, let, let, let's give it a go. Let's see what happens when I actually, um, this was my synthetic data paper, which came out a few weeks ago. So last summer, I started doing it. I'm like, all right, what happens if I go completely from scratch, doing the analysis, figuring out what the error is, Googling it, writing it up, going back and forth, tweaking with my figures. Um, and I think I did a series of 10 videos, each about 40 minutes each, which goes basically from the beginning of me actually starting this paper. I already had a basic idea of what I was going to do. And you can see the entire thing, how it actually progressed. Uh, I, th- I think it's the most transparent thing I've ever done. And it was also a little experiment of... Um, Will this actually make me work more efficiently? If I know that people, I'm assuming not many people watched it at all because it's very niche, but the fact that people- Also, could- parts of it were incredibly dull. Yeah, of course. But, but that, that's what, that's what it's like writing a manuscript. That's what it's like coding. It's you just going, it's true. Okay. Yeah. It's absolutely Good true. Point. <laughs> um, and like this wasn't entertainment. This was more of a, an experiment and sort of a documentation of this is how a paper is. A lot of people look at, look at papers. I remember when I was an undergraduate and I would see all these names, all these papers going, man, that's incredible. And you, you think these people are completely inspired. They just sit down and in one session they write their thing. You see these people coding and you're like, man, they are so good. Good, but that's not the reality. So the fact that you can actually demonstrate via things like Twitch that no, this is a this is what a manuscript looks like. Uh, I think it's really empowering, particularly to, to 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 early career students, but also to people who are a lot later in the game. Um, that these things just don't happen by magic, and the stuff is is sometimes boring. Uh, but that's that. But that 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 that's the that's process. The point. Yeah, exactly. I think it makes people feel. Uh, validated and like like you said empowered because that's one of my goals is to make people feel like they can do statistics and so uh in a small way to see me mess up and have to debug my code it makes them feel like oh this is a person who is qualified enough to teach me this subject and she's making typos she's misremembering arguments um so i try and leave that in my lectures and obviously have to leave it cuz it's live in my twitch streams <laughs> to make people feel like it's achievable but that's like that's the key though like people learn the most as soon as they figure out how to fix problems like for me, R all clicked all of a sudden as soon as I knew how to start, how to write, how to Google stuff in R. As soon as I figured <laughs> out how to read the documentation properly, because that isn't clear, and how I figured out how to write the actual things in R, how, how to search for R things, then everything just came into place. No one taught me that. But watching someone live stream, you could actually see, oh, that's how they Google that. Oh, that's what the documentation means. And people aren't teaching this because all these lectures that you see online is like this perfect thing. And I've done them before. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not throwing stones. I've, I've done the lecture where all the code is all there, and, and we all have. But that, that's not the reality. And I think we're, we're really doing our students a, a disservice by trying to pretend, not, not pretend, but actually showing, not, not showing the mistakes and how we actually problem solve and solve all these things. Totally. Well, there is an element of pretend there, though. How? Because a lecture is performative in general, you you don't have time to really pursue and 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 uh, do everything from from scratch. Um, I've seriously prioritized in talks over a very long period of time reproducing 
even even when you reproduce stuff that you know and you write it down yourself live, because there's a kind of a generative act, it looks like, one, you know what you're talking about, and two, it's a it's a better descriptor of a process. So I've got in I've I've got in some shit previously for like you've done no preparation for this talk. I go, oh, cool, I've done no preparation for this talk, but I just give me a whiteboard marker, I'll sort this shit out. And even even when it's I mean, and that's not even making mistakes, that's just producing what you know, right? In that kind of in that kind of context. But it's still a lot more I don't know. It frees people up to ask questions. Mm. It, it 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 lets them know what's actually sitting behind the curtain, in a way. Um, I mean, obviously, it's uh, you know who the audience is if you're talking to people in a room. I wonder who the audience is for these things. I wonder how many people have watched your making mistake twitches. But at the same time, it's like getting a million billion hits. I mean, you accept in the beginning that this is, I mean, there's niche and then there's Hamiltonian Monte Carlo TikToks. <laughs> but you know what I find? That the audience comes from uh, outside of Europe and the States for my stat stuff on YouTube. Um, really? Yes. So, the majority of questions that I get are from people um, outside of the so-called weird countries. Those are the majority of the things that I get both from from Twitch and from YouTube. YouTube. Do you get feedback like that, Chelsea? Do you like 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 fifty thousand people saw this fucking thing? Where do they all live? I've never dug into that, but I've noticed I have a couple old YouTube stats tutorials that yeah, it's a lot of people from not the United States, which I think is maybe reflective of people in the United States tend to have other resources that they're using. Uh, they're not Googling for some random R tutorial uh, on YouTube, but I haven't dug into it to a sufficient degree that I could make a confident statement about it. But you know, YouTube is the second biggest search engine. No, after, interesting. Yeah, after Google, YouTube is the second biggest search engine. So, a lot of people, I mean, for us, like I, I had to oil my deck today. That was fun, using my hands for a little bit. I went to I went straight to YouTube. People tend to use YouTube, but, but a lot of people, when it comes to stat stuff, they, don't, they won't go to Google. They'll actually go to YouTube because they want to see how it's actually done. And I think oh, I do. Different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. But, yeah, you know, I, I have a- definitely done that. Yeah, I have a list uh, separate from my TikTok list of things where, you know, at a certain point, you get to a level of statistics where people don't find it useful to make videos about things because you're one of, what, 40 people in the world that are going to need to know this. Um, but I have kind of a list of these weird small topics where I needed a video about it because I wanted to learn it quickly. I didn't want to read the, you know, jargon-filled papers about it. And so I have a list of things that when I can get around to it, I want to make videos. For instance, I just started doing item response theory models and once you get past your basic, you know, simple two-parameter model, there's nothing <laughs> on how to do that, how to interpret these models. Uh, and so that's on my list because I think you're right. I, When I need to learn something, I'll probably YouTube it <laughs> before I Google it. But I think the audience is much bigger than you think for that kind of eh, stuff. Okay. I, 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 yeah, I, I honestly would think that. Um, I don't know. Like people always think, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to start a podcast. I don't want to start a blog. I don't want to start tweeting because my thing is too niche. I don't know. 
like I, I don't think anything is 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 that niche. There's always going to be people who who are going to be doing stuff, and I, I, I quite like um you know sometimes rather than doing a full blog post, I'll do like a GitHub gist if it's like a small line of code. So that that's sort of like even doing like a small three minute thing of this is how I solve this problem for YouTube. I reckon that'd be really valuable. People would actually do that. So that's and fair, and that's a lower time investment. It's lower time. I learn from making these things. I think I know a concept, and me trying to explain a video and do a thing is like, oh, that's how that that's how these things connect. So it's that old adage, you know, if you really want to understand something, try and teach someone. And making these videos really helps, especially if you're doing them live. Nothing like a nothing like live coding oh to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, I've done that once. That was one time too many. C- coding or what, what were you doing? You, in, a, in a lecture, taking raw data and analyzing it fully with a bioamplifier in the room. Nice. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course I picked the, the, the wonkiest person. Wonkiest Some, I know. He stuck everything on him and his ECG just little decals and middle fingers popping up and uh, it, all, it all went completely to shit. That was good fun. Greetings, scum. I speak to you from a land beyond the grave. I'm just kidding. This is the mid-roll of the podcast, and I'm here to tell you about Prolific.co. Go to Prolific.co slash everything hurts, and you'll get $50 free credit that you can spend paying people to answer questions for money on the internet. The end of the day, that's what social science research is a lot of the time these days. Paying people to answer questions on the internet. If you do that, you have a variety of concerns. Is my data representative? Hmm, good question. Are my participants being ethically compensated? Another good question. And can I trust the numbers that I'm getting? Prolific is a company started by researchers specifically to answer those questions on an online survey platform. And that's why we think it's a good idea. So, go to prolific.co slash everything hurts and find out for yourself. Welcome back to Everything Hurts. For this episode, we are chatting with Chelsea Pallet, Pellaridi, uh, who is ch- at Chelsea Pallet on... <laughs> about you getting the name wrong even though it was straightforward it was was bloody well not it was there well okay (laughs) chelsea Chelsea on twitter follow you need to we need to follow chelsea on twitter because she posts some really good stuff and uh on twitter she's chelsea parlette that is one word uh how else can people find you online chelsea um, Twitter's the best way because anything that I do is also probably going to be posted on Twitter. I also have uh, a YouTube channel, but it's mostly for my teaching. So if you want to learn about Python or computer science, you can follow me. I think it's at Chelsea Pellerini there. Uh, TikTok is Chelsea Parlette Pellerini and Instagram is Chelsea Parlette. But if you truly want to get the essence of who I am, Twitter is the best place to do that. <laughs> We'll post. We'll post all those. Uh, all those links oh, on. Uh, in in the in the show notes, people can follow you. Um, now, uh, one thing that I've been seeing is that a lot of people are doing these um uh these these TikTok collaborations. So, uh, the TikTok something that uh, myself and, and yourself are using. Chelsea, James, is is this something that you'd be mm. interested in? 
some a, a collab- what do I have to do a TikTok collaboration. You might you might have some ideas, Chelsea, of, of what can be done here. Yeah, well, you can. Could, your you- genius video editor husband have me fly in the window and hit down with a toffee <laughs> hammer. If you want that, he can provide that. <laughs> What a nice man. He is a wonderful man. Anytime I ask him, can you do this? His answer is always like, yeah, I'll figure out a way. And he makes some really great effect. But if you have a smartphone, you just get it out and you make a video and you record yourself and then we put it together in a TikTok. Um, That's one thing I learned is that TikToks can be edited outside of TikTok, really up to my TikTok game. Um, But yeah, we should do one where there's a TikTok sound. I think it's from Smash Brothers. I don't really play oh, video, video games. video game one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, choose your character. And I think the three of us are very different and should be different characters, like different reviewers for a journal because Let's I would be so nice. James would maybe not too. be so nice. He might yell a lot. And Dan is no, somewhere no, in the middle. I don't, I, don't, I don't yell in reviews. It's, there's a certain degree at which they're not very well some people don't enjoy the outcomes it's but you know it's not untoward it's just stringent let's make one and have it ready for when this episode drops we are going to make a tiktok an, an official episode tiktok an official episode tiktok Wait, James, are you <laughs> how get the a mighty have fallen and how we suck too what are you going to get a tiktok or are you just going to send us a video file Let's let's have me not get a TikTok. I think you I should. Know. I'm trying to convince Daniel Lockins to get one too because he uh, said he was quite impressed Lockins. with my TikTok. So I said, when are you getting on? Because I would just, love to see just, that. Just a shirt a day from old Dan would be good. <laughs> His poor wife is going to have to go buy like 70 more shirts for him. Hmm. Larkins. Oh, that's right. He doesn't buy his own shirts. Oh, that's it now. Okay, we're getting extremely specific <laughs> now. Um, More. So, 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 I want to return to something that you said before, and you said that these these are a provocation. I mean, it's like the idea. A lot of psychom traditionally has been explaining stuff. Here is my attempt to popularize popularize this element of natural selection, or exactly what happens when we do marine studies of meh. Yours are more, here's a joke that involves something horribly complicated. And if it looks more approachable, maybe you will probably find it less intimidating or unpleasant. Is that it? Have I got that right? Yeah. I mean, I I think it's a little more nuanced because that is the main reason is I think that jokes are disarming and it helps bring people in to be in on the joke. And if the joke is about something complex, like differential geometry, which is essentially what Hamiltonian Monte Carlo is, I think that helps. But to be honest, the reason I started doing this is very psychology (laughs) related because I think that jokes and especially memes, like we have a very big meme culture now, they provide scaffolding for people to – know what the relationship between things in a joke or things in a meme are supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. so when you put something complicated on top of that meme and make it in that meme format, you're really providing people who have no idea what you're talking about normally the scaffolding of, well, I understand what this meme is, or I can easily deduce what this meme is. Okay, that must also apply to the topic that she's joking about. 
I think it really does help. So it's not only disarming, it's providing scaffolding and context for someone to deeply understand something that otherwise maybe would be confusing. It's like an analogy, but funnier, maybe. (laughs) No, 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 no. That is extremely insightful. Um, I'm trying to get at why I immediately thought this was such an attractive idea a while back because look, obviously these are astonishingly groan-worthy in a lot of different ways, but it's really hard to deny that they fucking work. I think you're absolutely right. So I want to pick your brain about something else. I don't think I've ever seen anyone do psychom on Instagram well or properly or in any way that's interesting, which for me consists of two genres. One is I have really good teeth and this is me standing next to science. And two, I met someone or something that is of scientific interest and probably here's me standing next to that too. So that's not, it's not communication about an idea. It's not, it's not for anyone. It it looks entirely like a promotional vehicle for the people who do it. Have you seen this done like in a more sophisticated manner, I suppose? On Instagram? Is there anything? Yeah. Not really. I think Instagram is really hard for SciComm and that's why I don't care to spend that much time on it. Um, right, because right. Y- there's not great ways of interacting. I think Instagram is a really great way, as you're saying, of displaying things. And my style is a lot more interactive than that. So I don't spend a ton of time on Instagram. The only thing that I can think of uh, that does an excellent job is the page Neural Net Memes (laughs) that does memes about computer science and machine learning. And you know, it's still missing that interaction that like, I get a lot of interaction on Twitter. And I love that, you know, when you see your tweet, and it only has 100 likes, but has 30 responses, that's the best to me. Um, And Instagram doesn't really display those interactions. So it's hard, but they have a way of disseminating memes (laughs) and jokes, essentially, about these topics. And that is honestly the only exceptional sitcom I've seen on Instagram. It's not a great Psycom platform because you're talking at people, you're not talking with them. Hmm. I think the one oh, strength wow. that Instagram does have is Instagram Stories, because Instagram Stories gives people permission to say something a little bit stupid or to experiment with stuff. The main Instagram feed is very much "let me take fifty shots to get the right shot," which is fine because that's what you're doing. It's an image. Um, but Instagram stories is a completely different ball game because you can record that quick thing. You can, you can show that photo and you know, in 20, 24 hours, it'll be gone. But what's really interesting is that Twitter is testing this exact feature. Twitter. Yeah. Twitter is, is testing this feature in Brazil where there's a separate timeline. Yeah. Where you can post stuff exactly the same way where you post stuff on Twitter, but it'll be gone in 24 hours. And I think this will completely turn Twitter on its head because all of a sudden that tweet, you're like, oh, that's a bit boring. I'm not going to say that. It's going to be completely different because, you know, that's that's going to be gone in 24 hours anyway. So, I really hope this feature actually makes it into the rest of the world because this will be really, 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 really interesting. 
I don't know what they're going to call it, but um, I think it'll be great. These are okay. I looked up neural net memes. These are s- single panel traditional photo memes that are about neural networks. Some of these are something. I mean, there's one here from Bojack Horseman where he's sitting on the front <laughs> of a boat. Me thinking I've trained a great network, and then it turns out that they uh, actually used a pre trained model, and the boat is being, as the camera zooms out, the boat's being pulled by a lorry. <laughs> Uh, that's a good one. So I don't know if that I mean that is fucking funny, but um, I don't know if it counts as a counts as communication. I was the one with Peter Griffin and God. Do atheists go to hell? No. How about authors who don't make their models public on GitHub? Straight to hell. That's good. To the that's boiler good. room of hell all the way down. I, I think what Instagram <laughs> is good for is showing the behind the scenes of doing science. So I'm not I think it'll be a little bit more difficult of actually doing science communication. Um, mm. but actually showing behind the scenes this is this is what a scientist does. Sort of like the boring stuff. I think that's where Instagram can play more of a role. Um but yeah, I don't know. At the same time it's just I see a lot of psychom and it's usually like, you know, look look at this cool image of this brain slice. That's great. That's great if you want to do psychom in that way. Um but it kind of just ends there. But well and you can't easily retweet or something like that i find like i'm not it's i only have a couple thousand followers it's not like people are gonna see this a ton it's people Mm. retweeting this that is getting me attention on instagram no one's retweeting me and so you know it doesn't reach a very large audience what else what else is coming up i mean we've we've had a lot of podcasts previously where i've mentioned that I think people should be source agnostic and that there's no inherent problem with any medium of communication starting from pigeon and ending with TikTok. It's a way of it's a way of structuring stuff if you think it's uh, somehow beneath you or ridiculous then that's your fucking problem. It's it, there's there's going to be a happy home for talking about anything on anything. So what's new? Out, outside of outside of the the even the the the, the framework of science communication. If I asked her, I don't know young people. I run screaming from the room when I walk into it. But if I was sort of like twelve to twenty one right now, what else is what else is starting? I mean, I don't know. I I I'm not even thirty yet, so I don't think I qualify as old. But I I feel kind of out of touch. I don't find about. Like, I don't find out about things until they're sort of at their peak. TikTok is, I think, going to get a lot bigger. I've already seen a huge increase in, like, us, these Twitter people migrating to TikTok. Um, And, I mean, even if you look at my timeline, people tend to like my TikToks a lot better because I think it's easily digestible. So I project exponential growth, the good kind (laughs) in that. Um, But I think Twitch is going to get a lot bigger with academics. There's already a a lot of great people. Um, Nick Wan is on Twitch occasionally streaming data science in the way that we were talking about. Um, And I think that people are going to get a lot more into that as we start to see that platform as less of a gaming and, you know, hot girls platform and more of a way to communicate with a broad range of audiences. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what the next app is. I thought it was going to be Byte, but I think TikTok has it beaten for now. YouTube's doing competitor as well. 
Oh. <laughs> well, they own video, long long form, so they want they want to get in on the action. Yeah, interesting. All right, so though toy Twitch is, I mean, those are. I didn't know about the women. I thought it was just for computer games. Well, it's, it's hot women playing computer games. Women playing computer games. Oh, hot women playing computer games. Sometimes, I mean, so, sometimes they just sit there and people give them money, but yeah, typically. Wow. I didn't <laughs> nice work if you can get it. Um, yeah, cured that fucking problem through the uh, absence of the noun and the adjective. Um, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so, so the, the whole sort of, you, you think the, the kind of, you know, 16 to 25 young male interests thing is going to wear off that. I mean, it makes it makes perfect sense. I mean, th- there's been a few entries into that kind of space. Um, we, we, we dicked about with Periscope for a while, and that was similar. And there was something that was either supposed to be integrated with Twitter and either went away or it, 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 it didn't work. I can't remember. I can't remember what happened to it. We, we use Periscope all the time. Yeah, didn't they? I thought they had some horrible integration problem, and it um. No, no, it's it's working well. Every time we stream, right? We're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna stream a lot more stuff on Periscope. Are we? Yeah. And now, now, <laughs> Facebook Live is doing their stuff. Um, Instagram Live, and the thing about all the, all these platforms is they prioritize the live stuff. So anytime you see something live, it comes to the top of the stream. Right, loving the live stuff. Okay, how does every how do more busy people prioritize that? You put it on in the background. Oh, right. Okay, that's how I I watch your streams. (laughs) While I'm working, I have dual monitors. One monitor is Hertz Podcast. One Mm. is my R Studio. Oh, right. Okay, that's um. Actually, quite heartening. I'll be sure to get closer to the camera and yell more. Now I actually have a good camera. Oh, why break a habit of a lifetime? We uh, get, oh, the other thing that I wanted to quickly chat with you about, uh, Chelsea, was you mentioned to me that you're writing a book. That's exciting. I'm writing an online course. Yeah, I course. Yes, I don't know how to describe it. So. I've noticed that there's a lack of truly introduction Bayesian materials. Uh, The exception would be a book that I edited for Will Kurt. He wrote a really great one for No Starch Press. Um, But I'm writing a course to teach people basically from scratch. If you know linear regression, you know enough to take this. And it'll be a short online course about how to apply Bayesian models to research um, so a lot of intro Bayesian courses just teach you, well, this is the probability of a heads being 40% or something <laughs> like that that is of no practical use. So I'm taking it a step further and I'm using the BRM's package in R to teach people how to both do model comparison and parameter estimation in the Bayesian framework. And I'm really excited. I think it's going to be coming out uh, early summer. So whenever that's out, follow me on Twitter and I will tweet about it. But I'm really excited. I think it fills a gap for people who are interested in using this, but, you know, aren't interested in differential geometry and all of the math that you need to technically do all of these analyses. So if you can do a regression, you can do the course. Absolutely. In fact, that's why I love the BRM's package. I'll plug it here. I plug it like every day on uh, Twitter. 
it uses the same syntax in R that a typical regression does. And while there is something dangerous <laughs> about letting people roam free with a framework they're not familiar with, I think it really helps people who are trying to dip their toes in. And I've fallen in love with that package and I tweet about it all the time uh, because it it's just so accessible. And I think with a little bit of training, it's really manageable for people and you're not having to learn how to do the really complicated coding that usually comes with doing Bayesian analyses. So highly recommend 10 out of 10. What is your take on that idea? Because there was that famous quote that um, letting, letting psychologists use linear mixed models is like giving a shotgun to a toddler. And a lot of people have said, oh, these tools are becoming too easy. I've said this when it comes to meta-analysis. People have been using comprehensive meta-analysis, which makes meta-analysis almost too easy. What's your take on the fact that a lot of these tools now are making it very easy and people are getting these numbers and now they're like, look, the numbers are here and they can plug these numbers into their papers, but they might not necessarily be right. How do you approach this? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think I had a bigger problem with it earlier on, um, JASP is a really great program for doing Bayesian statistics. Uh, it's a very particular brand of Bayesian statistics and one that psychologists tend to like, which is why I was familiar with it. And I used to always say like, it's wonderful, it's open source, but I'm concerned because I don't think people really know what they're doing. They just see a Bayes factor and they replace their p-values with Bayes factors. And I do have a concern about that, and I think there is a sense in which you should never do your analyses without talking to a statistician. I know that's not always possible. That's why I started the casual consulting that I do so that people who can't afford thousands of dollars for consulting can buy an hour of my time to talk with me about statistics. Um, but I, I think it's a big problem, but I think Anything is going to have that problem and making things inaccessible to people is not going to fix the problem. You're just going to make people really upset and they're going to use even worse methods. So I see the point and I, I'm always trying to point people in the direction of, well, you're doing this. Do you know why you're doing this or do you know how this works? Um, and I find that if you provide that information to people in an accessible way. It's not that they're not willing to learn. They just don't have a resource. And so that's why I do a lot of the communication I do is so that people who are using these tools who can't afford statistical consulting are able to kind of wrap their heads around what are the problems? What are the things they should be checking? Um, but it's hard. For instance, I'm trying to adapt uh, Michael Badencourt's like uh, principled uh, Bayesian workflow, he has some four great points that are really great about like, what should you be looking for? What should you be thinking about when doing a Bayesian analysis? And in my process of trying to put that in very simple words, it's incredibly hard because there's so many topics that you're just assuming that someone is familiar with that you then have to go back and say, well, you know, if you don't know what this is, here's what it is and here's how you address it. And so, yeah, I think mm -hmm. it's a problem. I don't think that making things inaccessible is the solution to that problem, but I think I and a lot of people like Dimitri on, on Twitter are trying to alleviate that problem like outside of the frame of, you know, easy software solutions. Mm. Well, it's, it's look, it's 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 hard, it's it's hard as shit. It's like wh wh where do you think all the sophisticated users are going to come from? 
people who started around fucking around and getting it wrong. So, well, the problem is you polluting the literature. Well, how well is the literature policed? Oh, not very well. Our journal only publishes bullshit meta-analysis. Well, what's wrong with your fucking journal? It's, yeah, there's, I, I, I agree with that. That's, yeah, sorry. That's a, well, I mean, the, the whole, any, any retreat to the bad old days in the entire sphere of like everything that you've just said is almost in, invariably means less access for someone. Mm. Less explanations, less context, less, less ability to actually get inside the topic. Just the, uh, um, the kind of conceptual frameworks and uh, examples and they go, well, I figured it out from scratch. You should too. It's obviously the best way. That thinking has never worked anywhere. Doesn't stop statisticians from trying though. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's why you're all so much fun at parties. <laughs> <laughs> we we are running out of time. But before we finish up, we always like to ask our guests a few quick fire questions. So, Chelsea, I want to ask you, what have you changed your mind about recently? That's a really good question. I'm constantly changing my mind. That's what a Bayesian does, right? Update with new information. <laughs> um, one thing I changed my mind about Shit recently, trick. actually, academics. Uh, I never thought I would stay here. I kind of saw myself getting a PhD and then, you know, GTFO. But I recently signed a contract <laughs> to stay on as a faculty member at I saw my that. school. Congrats. Thank you. And I, I I think it's really amazing because I'm in a non-tenure track position. So I'm evaluated on my teaching skills and abilities and performance as well as service to the university. And I didn't know that existed. And I wish other people did know. I was talking um, to Daniel Watkins about this when I was applying to the position. And he was saying that a, a group that he's working with is trying to figure out how to offer these sorts of positions where you're either teaching or you're a support to research staff and not a PI, because there's a lot of people who are really smart and really excited who don't want to spend their day writing NSF grants. Uh, and so I've changed my mind because I realized that this is a possibility. I can stay in academics and not be bogged down in all the things that a PI has to do. It's great that more places are doing that. I think it's becoming more popular in Norway as well, that sort of option. Uh, now, number two, what book or paper should everybody read? Is this addressed at the audience or just anyone should read ever? More, more the audience. Okay. I'm going to go with, well, you know what? I'll just tell you two because I have one for a okay, general audience. For the general audience one, everyone needs to read A Phantom Tollbooth. I uh, am obsessed with that book. I've read it so many times since childhood, and it really introduced me to the type of sci-com that I do now. There's a lot of great math jokes in that book, and I think that it gives people an idea of how you can have fun while learning something. And then for general specific, well, general specific, that's an oxymoron. For your audience specifically, I think that everyone should read A Lady Tasting Tea. It's kind of a statistical mm. history book. And it 
always helped me connect with what statistics as a field has been doing. Um, there's a lot of horrible people <laughs> in statistics and hearing the stories of how they've interacted over time and how that's changed the way that we do statistics is so interesting. And this book approaches it in a really great way where you don't have to be a statistician to appreciate it. So I think everyone in science should read that book. I think you may be the second person to mention that book as well. I think, I think, yeah. That's that's the mad Ron Fisher story, the foul old Ron story. Yes, with the 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 lady and the tea party. I mean, yes, it has elements of that. <laughs> right. I mean, no, it's, it's like it was like the binomial probability of milk first or tea first in a cup of tea. Yeah, look, okay, that makes no sense out of context. Do the last question, Dan, before I fuck everything that- up completely. That's it. Two questions. Two quick fire questions. Well, figure out a third one so I don't look wrong. <laughs> a third question. Um, okay. So, <laughs> let's say you wanted to say something to all the first year stat students in the world. You have a global platform. One slide. What do you want to tell them? Oh, that's a wonderful question. I think if I'm going to be honest about what I would say if you really put me in that situation... I would tell them that this is going to be really difficult, it's going to be really fun, and that you totally have all the resources you need to succeed, but you're going to have to work really hard to understand all of this stuff. I think that is what I would tell them because that is my feeling that you need acceptance and to welcome people with open arms, but you also need to expect rigor. And I think I would like to tell people you're welcome here, but you've got to work hard <laughs> to stay. <laughs> Sounds like a class that I'd take. Chelsea, thank you for joining us on the show and everything you've mentioned, we are going to chuck up on the show notes. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.